All right. So again, welcome to the first listening session for the ARPA nonprofit funding. Um, for Tranche 2, we're looking at, um, you know, general input and feedback for this session. We also will have five office hours that will be um, a part of the series that we will be doing to collect feedback as well as um, some initial uh, needs assessments to follow up with the needs assessment we conducted in 2021. So with that, I am going to turn it over to our acting CFO, John Sandy, to kick us off and get us started with the feedback session. Um, so John, would you like to introduce yourself and explain your new role to the group? Good morning. Thank you, each and every one of you that's taken the time to uh, be on this call. And also, all of the feedback that I've gotten is much appreciated. Um, I know many of you have sent emails uh, to me directly or through Monica Spells, who is my colleague up in county administration. Um, my role is the county's chief financial officer. I took that role starting last week. I was in an acting capacity, um, have worked for the county for 28 years. Many of you are very familiar names to me and have likely met many of you um, over the years uh, in different roles. Uh, my previous work was in public safety and emergency management. So, um, and I've been involved with the budget process for quite some time. And um, one thing with dealing with public safety is being able to deal with nonprofits. I, I used to deal with all of the nonprofit volunteer fire and rescue companies. So I understand the challenges that each and every one of you have um, to be able to get your mission done and to be able to help your clients. So I just want you to know that about me. I've been involved with nonprofits, as has Megan Cox, uh, for a number of years. So today, really what we were trying to do is have a listening session. Uh, I, we value your feedback and we want to do this, do this outreach effort as, as uh, another stage of being able to get our heads around ARPA. You know, one thing that I can tell you with, with ARPA and having come, I, when I started my career, I started in Washington. I worked for federal OMB at the White House. And one thing I know about federal dollars, and this is a federal program, is that there are a lot of requirements, a lot of compliance, a lot of red tape, a lot of a lot of worry, especially if we're passing those monies through to whoever so or whomever. So, you know, I, I want you to know that really what we're talking about today and what the conversation is really is to try to get your feedback on this ARPA second tranche. Um, and I know that things can be frustrating. I know that uh, many of you still see um, emergency needs out there that, you know, the, the pandemic continues and your clients are still suffering and you're trying to meet and provide those services to the best that you can. So I, I want you to know that first, you know, so uh, you understand that uh, I can understand where you're coming from. But one thing that with 
ARPA, besides it being a federal pass-through program through the county, is, you know, there are a number of different needs out there that the board has to weigh in these tranches. And, and I know many of you know that. Um, there were a number of water and wastewater projects. Uh, there's some affordable housing and displacement services needs. There's also just the ongoing pandemic response and all of the needs that we've had to undergo related to testing and vaccination clinics, our, our pod, et cetera. And, but a big component of this, you know, an important component are monies for you, for your nonprofits and for you to be able to be successful. That's what we want to be able to try to do is have you be successful. But we do realize and we want you to understand that the ARPA is one slice of the funding pie that goes to nonprofits that the county provides. Um, we pa have passed through state dollars, and then obviously we have those contributions that come straight from the general fund to nonprofits. But these funds really do have some very specific requirements. And I know many of you been many of you of the 36 successful tranche ones. Uh, have been weighing and wrestling with those requirements. You know, a lot of it relates to income and economic data that has to be gathered. Um, so, unfortunately, the second tranche has even more requirements to it. And that's why we're, we're here to talk to you today and get feedback. You know, I, I'd love to have the feedback be oriented toward ARPA. It's our understanding that um, you felt that you didn't have as much of a voice. I know that there was a, a uh, needs assessment for the first tranche. It's my understanding from staff uh, that there'll be a needs assessment likely by the end of March for this tranche. So we know we have to get some additional feedback from you today. And that's, that's really what we're here to do. This is an opportunity for me coming into this role, being able to understand your needs understand your frustrations and what where where you know you felt that you haven't had a role and maybe maybe we're talking about kind of the bigger picture maybe we're talking about more than just arpa but today let's just talk about arpa and uh i know that uh the staff did try to at least participate in a number of human services related calls over many months and participated in a number of those agenda agendas and was available to answer questions related to ARPA. But I think Megan and her team are really going to make an effort to, as she mentioned, to have office hours to really talk to you directly if you're frustrated. Uh, I certainly have an open door. If you need to talk to me about it, I'd be happy to do that. Um, we really appreciated the feedback. I, I really did. Coming into this role, it was good for me to kind of understand where you're coming from. And I know that our board, it, you know, wants to make sure that we're listening. And that's a goal of ours. So we're going to do this first one today. And I think we have another one on the 23rd. And I think on that one, we're going to we're going to even advertise it even more broadly. I think we had over 200 invites for this one. And we're going to do a press release, I think, for the net, the second one and, and see how many people we can get on just to have that conversation. I know we've got a lot to cover today, uh, and I know we don't have a lot of time today. And I know some of this was unexpected, but I do appreciate each and every one of you taking the time to be on here to talk to us about it. Um, 
we do want to help you out as much as we can. Um, we also get frustrated by federal requirements. Um, you know, one of the things that I used to oversee was all the road construction in the county and over the, you know, and any time there were federal dollars, you know, me even being an OMB person for many years ago, those federal dollars all have strings. You know, the federal dollars, they, they're trying to push us in certain directions and there are certain requirements that have to have to be met. Um, so anyway, I, I, I'm here, I'll be listening in and we'll try to facilitate some feedback later on. Um, Megan and Christine are gonna do a PowerPoint now and kind of walk you through this tranche, kind of bring you up to date on the final rule and the eligibility requirements. And then we'll kind of go from there. So thank you for having me on and thank you for being here. Yep, and I just want to echo um, John's sentiment that that we really want to make sure that this is something that can work for um, for the community and make sure that we are also keeping in compliance with the federal requirements. Um, this is something that the county has to report on a quarterly basis, um, all expenditures as well as all data collected, and um, make sure that there are evaluation. Um, results and measurable outcomes that are associated with each and every project that's um, within this, that especially those that are over $50,000 um, in the award, but we also aggregate um, all outcomes for those that are under $50,000. So we have to report every bit of data that we're collecting from, from those awardees, those 36 uh, within ARPA. So Christine and I are just going to walk you through what we know, um, where we've been from last year to this year, from tranche one, now going into tranche two. And um, please use the chat function if you have questions. We will be monitoring the chat and pausing for questions uh, throughout uh, until we get to the larger feedback session, which we expect to take uh, about a half an hour. So we're kind of going to speed through the PowerPoint so that we can have this productive conversation um, related to some of the goals of ARPA and then where we can make sure that we connect um, in a meaningful way to get questions answered and make sure that we're collecting as much information as possible. So we'll get started now. As I mentioned, you know, we'll go over, um, you know, what some of the tranche two funding is, where we are for tranche one progress, some of the funding objectives and um, some of the programs that we put forth. And then the basic um, reason why we're all here is to make sure that we have as much in input as possible. As John mentioned, we will have um, multiple opportunities for office hours. Those will be posted in the press release. We can also put those in the chat so that you have them today before we leave the meeting. Um, but essentially, you know, we're looking at two opportunities in March for office hours, two in April and one in May. Um, so that there are multiple opportunities if um, your calendars may or may not be um, you know, as as free as some, um, we want to make sure that we get as much information as possible. So for those of you who were included in or who attended some of the tranche one application funding overviews, you may recall this slide. 
Um, in June of 2021, we actually um, were allocated $80 million, roughly, um, for ARPA. And at that time, the um, the plan included $5 million for nonprofit organizations. The first would be in fiscal year 22, which is $2.5 million. That was tranche one. And then $2.5 million was also allocated for fiscal year 23. Um, and so that would be tranche two. We have until December of 2026 to spend the funds. Uh, all funds have to be obligated by December of 2024. So we do want to make sure that we are, you know, taking our time um, in making sure that we are getting exactly the needs met that the community requires. And, you know, you are a big part of that as our nonprofit community. The purpose of the tranche one funding was to respond to the public health and emergency responses. And can we make sure that everyone's line is muted? I'm getting a major echo. Um, please just mute your lines if you can. Thank you. And so what we what we wanted to make sure is that um, with the final rule, the final final rule is now out. Um, last year we only had the interim final rule. And there have been some requirements that are put in place around the intent of ARPA funding. And the one um, major intent of this is that it is transformational or transformative projects for um, communities. And so this is something that the, the county is looking at as a holistic perspective, um, you know, from environmental health, as John mentioned, water, wastewater, um, affordable housing, which many of you um, are involved in and there are other areas so the the nonprofit tranche or the nonprofit bucket is only one of many buckets um, that that could apply to multiple projects in which you're involved so to recap um, just a quick uh, spring 2021 needs assessment we saw you know a large proportion of responses from nonprofits say that food supports really were the number one priority under um, a myriad of other um, priorities. So we saw other category responses as emergency shelter, healthcare, um, education, and then food supports, uh, referral services. So these are things that we are considering and still taking into consideration as we look into a second needs assessment for 2022. Um, we also know that throughout the pandemic, we've heard from a number of you through the human services calls, um, those monthly calls that are hosted by administrations, Shalom and Monica, that, that there are other needs. So mental health services have been a real priority and that's across populations. Healthcare continues to be a priority across populations as COVID continues to um, have multiple um, variants and subvariants. So when we started digging into the data for tranche one, what we found were obviously that um, there is more request and more need than what was dispersed. We were able to disperse um, 2.5 million uh, for organizations rescinded funding, and that's because of all of the federal requirements that are attached to these funds. Um, what we find as a big success are the unduplicated counts across the 36 organizations that provided data on unduplicated counts. We saw in quarter one that approximately 16,000 residents were served. 
And in quarter two, 22,000 residents were served. What we don't know um, are with across organizations, how many of these are unduplicated? Who are those core residents that really need the support? And that's what um, we are challenged with in tranche two. Um, how can we untangle some of these? As you see here, service expansion and service expansion plus food assistance were the bulk of the funds for tranche one. And um, when we talk about service expansion, that was service expansion for mental health needs, that was service expansion for food assistance, service expansion for um, multiple um, needs, clothing needs, um, necessities, utilities, things like that, to make sure that, that residents did have their, their needs met. And yes, I do see a couple of hands up. We, we will get to questions here in just a minute. So as we are looking at um, ARPA funding, the eligibility will not change from the previous year. We are looking at nonprofits and faith-based organizations again. We also um, are not changing our requirements for who's eligible to apply. These are the same requirements as tranche one. And I do wanna make sure that we, we look at a focus toward recovery. This is in the final rule that this is supposed to help residents and help um, our community move into what would be considered the new normal and considered how we can recover from um, from the pandemic. So these are the, the same requirements as as previous years. And so for the final rule, we do have um, we did hire an ARPA coordinator and she is really the um, the federal voice of this. She has combed through our um, final rule documentation and has been working with um, NACO and ICMA to better understand what some of the intent of these rules are and how they can be oriented to make sure that we do have those transformative projects. So um, I will introduce Christine Powers on this slide and she will be talking a little bit about the population um, federal definitions that we have to adhere to. But first I want to explain um, the three big buckets for eligible uses in ARPA. Last year we focused only on the first bullet, the COVID-19 and public health response. And, um, you know, we knew based on the feedback we received from nonprofits and from the community that this was still a need. ARPA, as designed, was supposed um, to be transformative, large um, budget projects that is something that can transform a community. And what we knew a year ago is that there was still a lot of emergency need. And so how can we make sure that emergency shorter term needs can be applied at this point? Um, now we are looking based on board priorities, based on LCPS priorities, based on what we heard through the monthly human services meetings and um, through our departments, that, that it may be time to focus on the second two bullets you know, really uplifting the community, making affordable housing and childcare, early learning eligible in all impacted communities. And then also making sure that community development and revitalization is um, available 
and accessible in disproportionately impacted communities. And those are our lowest income earners, as well as communities of color and immigrant communities. So we are looking specifically at those um, as part of the eligible uses for ARPA. And I'm going to turn it over to Christine to talk a little bit about the project's population and federal definition requirements um, within the final rule. One thing that we do um, recognize is that within the final rule, if um, residents who are working with your programs and your nonprofits are already enrolled in income-based programs, um, that is uh, an automatic um, eligibility requirements. Um, so they would automatically be eligible for some of the programming, whereas other projects may have specific low moderate income requirements or um, a specific percentage of the area median income. So Christine, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yes, thank you, Megan. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Christine Powers. I've been brought into Loudoun County to help coordinate uh, this ARPA funds and make sure that we are using it the way Treasury would like us to use it. Uh, one thing that was made pretty clear in their final rule is the intent and their goal of really uh, focusing on any barriers that have left populations historically underserved and using this opportunity to flush those out and to clear out those barriers to really, like Megan said, focus on that core population that has been struggling and that they were just impacted drastically because of this pandemic. So uh, like Megan said, there is a tool that Treasury has given us, um, allowing us to use both uh, the federal uh, poverty level indicators and also area median incomes to determine uh, income levels uh, and also whether or not in a household is already enrolled in certain other programs like, you know, WIC, food stamps, um, free and reduced lunches, social security income, things like that. There's quite a few. So it reduces the administrative burden of trying to gather more income data from them. It is assumed that if they qualify for these other programs, they're going to be part of this disproportionately impacted population or low-income population. Um, what we do have a little bit more leeway in the sense that to eliminate, again, a little bit more of that administrative burden, uh, Treasury is allowing us to use a particular group. So if we can't identify one particular household with data, if we know that that household is part of a group that has been disproportionately impacted, if they're in a neighborhood or of a certain race or gender or some something that would indicate that they are part of this larger group, we don't necessarily have to say that, yes, this household was impacted. We know that because they are part of that group that they probably were and they have been. And we don't need to further prove anything to Treasury. We are saying that we know that they have suffered in this way and we are doing these things to help. Um, one thing that they do also identify is the effects of a pandemic related recession that even if someone has maybe gone back to work, it is not fine and dandy right off the bat. So there's still that rippling and lingering effects 
that it takes longer to get caught up. Maybe they couldn't go back to a job earning as much as they had been. So they recognize that there is continued help, but that's why they want us to also focus on those kind of core problems. This pandemic exposed a lot of things and that's what Treasury wants us to focus on. How can we make sure that we are addressing some of these underlying issues? So that's how identifying our population is going to be very key. So in terms of you know, community development, neighborhood revitalization, this is an opportunity for us to really get that access to people, remove any barriers that may have stopped them from getting the help they needed prior to the pandemic even and getting ahead of the curve and ahead of the game. So we do have a lot of opportunity in that sense. So that's been the nice thing about this final rule is that I got the impression it was very clear in their final rule what their intended goals were. Even with a long list of eligible uses, they gave us the flexibility to know that if we have identified a need, if we had identified an underlying risk that perpetuated and made this pandemic even worse for some populations, that we can address those problems as well. Yeah, thank you, Christine. And um, so, so this is an opportunity for us to think about how we can collaborate and coordinate as a larger group with these larger transformational projects. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the tranche two funding programs. Um, as, as Christine mentioned, you know, we will have a fair number of federal reporting requirements um, and all of the data that is reported to the county is also then aggregated and reported to the federal government. So it's really important that when, um, you know, we include our recovery plan and our quarterly reporting to the federal government, that each of the reporting requirements is fulfilled and that includes income data. Um, it also includes um, efforts to make these outcomes equitable and making sure that there are, um, you know, there are processes in place that many of you already have in place, and we want to make sure that those continue and that we can bolster them um, in a way that helps to promote evidence-based um, decision-making and data-informed decision-making. We also know that, um, you know, we have to report performance on outcomes and outputs to the federal government. And this is something that we also require of you. These will not change. These are exactly what we are requesting from tranche one. Um, this is going to be through tranche two as well. There will be even in more increased scrutiny on the data in tranche two. And so, you know, this is something that that we are actually in process of hiring um, a position through ARPA, we have extended a um, an offer to an individual who will be the nonprofit ARPA support specialist. So this person will help with training on data collection, training on how to um, secure and administer other ARPA grants, whether they be federal or state, and then helping with reporting requirements. So this this position is built for this group. Um, and specifically to support the nonprofits and making sure that we can all be as successful as possible. 
And with that, I'm just going to pause for a couple of quick questions before we get into the funding programs, which we will get into in the next slide. We only have a couple of slides left, but is there any any question um, that we haven't talked about or touched on from tranche one as we move into tranche two? Please just add them to the chat if there are or raise your hand and we can unmute your line. Okay, I'm not seeing any just yet, so we'll go ahead and continue. All right, so when we're talking about funding programs for tranche two. Megan, yes. Megan, excuse me, we do have one that came in in the chat. Okay. Of the 40 million allocated to Loudoun, are these specific requirements tied to these core vulnerable populations? For instance, if funds are used for roads and other efforts, does income data have to be tied to those projects? How are outputs and outcomes that are not dedicated to nonprofits tied to these requirements? Yep, that's a really good question. And so I know that right now roads are not um, a part of ARPA. I'm looking at Christine's lozenges right now. Um, but any construction or infrastructure that is over $10 million has its own set of requirements, including fair labor laws and living wages. Um, so the county has to collect all of that information from any contractor, any subrecipient, and any beneficiary. Um, all of these data are then rolled up into aggregate, and we um, look at them by project and report them by project and expenditure category. So um, the construction infrastructure actually has more reporting requirements than, um, than some of the human services uh, projects. And Christine, is there any more clarification on that? A little bit. Um, I do know that while there is some uses for capital expenditures, um, Treasury also wants us to explain ourselves when it comes to using ARPA funds for capital expenditures, uh, especially when it's over a million dollars uh, or for a project over a million dollars. So um, the county is going to be very careful with those funds and for that kind of expense. Um, this would be outside of the water and wastewater projects since those were already part of the eligibility, but um, Treasury wants us to work very hard to um, look for other sources of funding as well and um, have a really good reason why we're using ARPA funds for particular capital expenditures. So um, it wouldn't be that just any old project gets uh, gets lumped in. We have to be very, very careful and very strategic about how we're using this money. So there's a follow up question in the chat. So if the nonprofits were re to receive $10 million, the nonprofits would need to report fair labor laws. So um, the reporting requirements are specific to um, capital projects and infrastructure projects when it comes to $10 million. Um, so the reporting requirements would be for the lump sum um, within project. So right now, if it were over $10 million, and again, I'm looking at Christine, she's the expert here on ARPA, really the infrastructure is designed for um, those reporting over $10 million. That's the way the, the final rule is set up and organized. Good question, thank you. 
Very yep, good. Go um, is a new position that was created also going to help seek other ARPA funds that the county and nonprofits may be able to apply for? Yes. Yes. The um, the position was posted and described as um, a position that will support the nonprofits primarily, and the position will work with the nonprofits to identify, apply for, and then um, help to administer ARPA grants at the state and federal level so that this isn't the, the county's um, state and local recovery fund isn't the only option for nonprofits so that we're able to help you diversify because we know there's so much need. Um, we want to be able to help you diversify with your ARPA funds, but then also have a longer period of time um, to, to think about these because we still see grants and um, requests for proposals coming out of the, the state and federal agencies that could be applied towards nonprofits specifically or county nonprofit partnerships. And another question as we enter into tranche two, are the three areas of focus subject to change with input that has been received? So I think we can we can talk about that. That's the purpose of these. I want to say that um, the three areas of focus may not change. We may be able to adjust in some way, um, especially if we're hearing that there are areas of focus that that wouldn't fit into these three buckets, um, especially if, if it's, uh, you know, emergency services that are related to um, housing. We do have a project specifically for housing in ARPA um, that we may want to facilitate partnering with the Office of Housing on. Um, there are other projects that are related to um, to specifically the co-location of services. Let's just take a look at the three. Um, there would be multiple ways of collaborating and coordinating. And if need be, if we are hearing and seeing um, the need, then we can adjust along the way. The, the issue is we need to have funds allocated in order to do that. And so that's where we get into kind of the chicken and egg dance a little bit. Um, because we want to make sure that we are getting the funds as quickly as possible to to you as organizations, but then also that we're we're really listening and that we're trying to figure out how this can all fit together and how we can coordinate better um, within you know the county and nonprofits as partners, but then also with you as partners with one another. We have heard. Um, you know, some some good feedback from from about 12 letters that have responded to the need for um, more streamlined referral processes, for instance, um, or to the human service strategic plan, which includes these three buckets. So we have an opportunity here to design more collaborative, coordinated efforts through these processes. So I, it's kind of a yes and no, really depending on the feedback. Megan, we have another question. Are we allowed to submit a proposal for more than one funding area within our funding request? Yes. Um, we know that many of your organizations are, you know, have multiple programs, have expanded multiple programs, have built up 
additional programming that could fit into more than one bucket. So yes, we are not limiting um, applications to one at this point. And I will say we have not operationalized um, any of the three buckets yet. We are waiting on information from you to help us do that. Um, what we knew from board priorities, from um, from LCPS and from the human service calls is that these kind of three big buckets can fit a lot of services. And, um, you know, this is something that we are hoping to plan with you and make sure that there is time for that. Um, so that's that's the direction we're heading is to make sure that we have the time to plan for this. The funds don't need to be expended until 2026. So we have a little bit of time, but we also know those emergency service um, grants that we granted last year in tranche one will run out. The funding is running out already. So we wanna make sure that we're able to get some funds infused back into organizations before we're leaving residents in the dark, um, you know, literally, if they don't have their utilities. Um, or their their rent. We do know that um, DHCD's rental relief program will be sunsetting in the summer. And so we need to make sure that there are data that help us support how we can transition um, services either back into the county's rental relief programs or if there are other ways that we can make sure that residents are supported. We know requests for rent have been going down in some areas, but we need some more data and some more conversations to figure out where where the need is and where it's anticipated. And Megan, can I just piggyback on that too? Sure. Uh, when it comes to um, multiple um, requ requests, I guess um, one way to think about it is is how that how we will be reporting these programs in the end. So Treasury wants to see our reporting based on category, meaning like using mental health for an example, the expenditure category would be mental health services. And within mental health services, there are one, two, three projects that address mental health through these services, through these channels, through these programs. So if you wanted to think about it that way, how Treasury wants us to present this information to them when it comes to our recovery plan and our recovery programs. Um, they see it like one project. Mental health is one project. And within that, we have all of these different activities going on, um, touching on veterans, mental health, or school kids, or something like that. So um, the project would be the larger bucket. So if one organization touches several, they can think of it like this project, this project, this project, especially when it comes to reporting. So I don't know how that helps with the application piece of it, but that's just how we will then digest the information and put it out there in our reports. Yeah, thanks, Christine. And so I do want to move us along in the PowerPoint so that we can open up the phone lines. I know there are probably a number of other questions. Um, so I'm just going to move us along very quickly and have John discuss um, a little bit about the funding decisions and compliance that we, we have within the county and making sure that we are capturing the data we need or the, the, the needs from the community that we have here and then um, 
making sure that we're allocating and planning appropriately and within our authority. Thanks, Megan. I, I touched on this early, you know, and I realize these federal programs can be very frustrating, especially for those that uh, that have nonprofits that really do not have the economies of scale to kind of work through the rigor that's required um, for these path pass through payments. But you know, typically with the human services, we have there's a lot of board discretion with a number of the funding streams. Uh, especially those grants, they used to be called grants to regional organizations and nonprofits. Uh, there's a little bit more latitude. Typically, those funds come from the general fund. Uh, nonprofits are typically liable for those funds. And uh, we all know how that process is. There's, I would say that on average, there's a little bit more discretion. You may disagree with me or not, but and I know not every nonprofit has been successful through that pathway, but there's a little bit more discretion that the county has and that the board has in terms of making those decisions. But when it comes to anything that's a federal or state pass through, especially a federal pass through, you know, the Treasury enforces the compliance. Uh, typically, OMB is involved with the rulemaking uh, with the agencies and approves that. And then the county's liable. So, uh, and I know, you know, the county certainly has a lot of funds, but we also have to incur liability if any of those recipients or sub-recipients through the pass-throughs are not able to meet the compliance requirements. And I know those seem onerous. I know many of you are probably wrestling. Those that um, of the 36, many of you may still be wrestling with trying to get data on income and be able to produce that information. But that's that's what we're required to do. So uh, I know um, I certainly know that there's an overall funding need for nonprofits in the county, and but there's multiple buckets, and really we're talking about that bucket for ARPA. So it's going to be stricter. It's going to be that's the reason why typically when the when the uh, the budget was set, or at least the allocation was set. We started with something that was very similar to what the first tranche is, because uh, looking at the first tranche, uh, there's still a number of uh, nonprofits that still have to produce some information related to that for us to meet compliance goals. So we started small, and I know Megan talked about that maybe the other buckets may not change, probably not um, in the board's mind, but there certainly is some additional funds that have not been uh, allocated yet, or what I would call earmarked for, and that's eight million dollars. And but I think it's important, you know. I know that would help out a lot of organizations on this call and be able to provide that support that you do day to day for your clients. But just remember, unfortunately, these funds have a lot of rules and red tape involved with them. I don't want to discourage anybody from going through that process, but we just want you to have eyes wide open about it. Um, if the if the larger discussion is about just the overall funding that the county provides you through these different mixes of sources, that's that's kind of another discussion. I think that's an important discussion to have, you know, ideally with the board. But really, we're talking about 
these specific requirements through the federal government. And unfortunately, you know, unlike this first tranche, it's my understanding that ARPA has gotten a little bit stricter for the second tranche because we're not um, because we're starting to see the beginnings of moving out of the pandemic and we're starting to um, move slowly uh, out of that. So these large transformational needs are really what they're emphasizing. So I just wanted to cover that again, you know, to let you know what the liability is, because if if the nonprofits are not able to deliver, the county will be liable to pay those funds back for ARPA. So um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't provide comments, that you shouldn't apply, um, you know, but we just want you to know that. That's kind of what we're wrestling with. We wish we could change the rules and make it more uh, like a block grant and be able to dedicate funding to those things where the board of supervisors and the nonprofits would see eye to eye. I know there's a lot of things, especially with this board, that the nonprofits and, and the board members see eye to eye in funding. But these are just specific funds. They're very they're dedicated for purpose. We go back to all those civic lessons that many of you had about fiscal federalism. That's what it's about. And uh, unfortunately, that's what we have to have to work through. So yeah. we know that can be frustrating. So and yeah, and and I just want to to make sure that that we as we walk through this, you know, that that it's clear that we want to continue this as a partnership. And and I DFB staff are committed to that. And um, we did have a few questions that were kind of pre-prepared, but I think, um, you know, I'm just going to skip over those in terms of, you know, what are some of the major concerns? I think you're already ready to open the phone lines and start the dialogue and, and have some some questions and answers. And um, really the, the main thing that I would be interested in, and I think from, from our perspective is, how do you as organizations want to um, continue the communication? We have the monthly human services calls, so that is that is one way, but are there other ways that we want to, to continue the dialogue? We have some office hours that will be coming up, but um, you know, let's open up the phone lines and, and um, have some conversations, some Q&A about other concerns or um, information that you would need for tranche two. And I'm just going to pause it there and put questions here. Um, but yeah, I see Jennifer Montgomery. If you want to just unmute your line and then Carol. So we'll go Jennifer, then Carol. Yeah. Hi, good morning. Thank you all, first of all, um, so much for hosting this um, and, uh, and for inviting feedback from us. I know I speak for all of us when I say that we really appreciate that and um, really appreciate this dialogue. Um, and John, I don't, I don't know if congratulations are in order. <laughs> I think you have a big job ahead of you, but I'm glad. I think I think you're going to do a great job, and I'm I'm glad you're willing to take that on. So thank you. Um, so I'm a, I'm uh, I don't know if confused is the right word, but what I'm hearing a lot of what you all are saying is, um, in particular, questions about compliance, rule following. Um, uh, data collection, that sort of thing. So that wasn't necessarily what I saw in in the feedback that was shared with LHSN. So I'm just wondering if that is an issue that you all are having and trying to collect data from the current ARPA recipients and is also feedback that you're getting that it feels too onerous because well, I'll stop there. Let me ask that question first. 
So, um, so thank you, Jen, for that question. And and I will say yes and yes. Um, we we are hearing that the data reporting, the evaluation components, the outcomes are difficult to collect, but also we have to collect income information, um, which is really difficult for, for many organizations and you're just not set up for that. Uh, so that is one reason why we we really want to hit this home, um, especially for those those smaller organizations who have more difficulty in collecting that. It could be that you want to partner with a larger organization who collects that information and maybe learn from them. But but we we are seeing um, some big holes in the data right now, and we don't want anyone to be unsuccessful. So we are you know Barb and um, Daryl and Tom have done a lot of follow up with organizations in their quarterly reporting when needed and that's why frankly you know we wanted to hire a person specific for this so that there is an additional level of service that can be supportive of you know helping think through these things and how can we collect it and organize it and and really um, focus on the nonprofits for that and carol yeah i'm just wanted to um, give a few comments about the question about communication and also first echo Jennifer's thanks for having this session and, and sessions to come. Uh, as a federal grantee, I am very familiar, painfully so, of the compliance and the reporting, and it is, it is uh, overwhelming, shall we say. So I think that I will just say to the extent that you can help nonprofits that may want to do this, but just don't have that experience to provide the resources that would help them to help the community. That would be, I'm sure, much appreciated. I wanted just to respond to something, Megan, you said earlier, and then you mentioned it again about the monthly meetings. You mentioned it first in the context of needs assessment. And I just want to say that um, we think of them as Shalom's meetings, just to clarify that we're talking about that meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have been incredibly helpful as I've attended them for sharing information, for brainstorming, coming up with new ideas. But I have to say, I never went into those meetings with the understanding that these were the capital N, capital A needs assessment conversations. I rarely spoke in those meetings because as you know, uh, much of the conversation was about emergency needs, specifically rental assistance. There were a lot of things that needed to be discussed, and that was a great place to do it, and often then led to off-camera conversations. But I, I wasn't speaking in those meetings about what we were seeing over in healthcare and this because I didn't understand that that was what I should be doing, nor do I think there was really time in the meetings to bring all that in. So I'm hoping going forward in terms of communication, if there's an intent to use a gathering or a meeting or whatever for a purpose, that it's really clarified, why are we all here and what is this information going to be used for? And please be at the table and come prepared with XYZ, et cetera. Yeah, thank you, Carol. I appreciate that comment. Um, and, and maybe let me clarify a little bit. I might not have been as, as clear as I could have been. We had the 2021 needs assessment, which we showed some data for, and we used that along with other multiple conversations. What, what we were hearing in the human services calls, Shalom's calls, was one um, source of information. So we want to continue 
with another needs assessment this spring, um, late winter, early spring, and then have more focused conversations moving forward with exactly what you're talking about. Other questions, comments? I see Val P. Sierra. Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry, I haven't spoken yet this morning, I guess. Um, good morning, and, and I just want to echo what everyone's saying. Thank you for having these meetings and, and helping us, you know, everyone to get on the same page about what's going on. Um, a couple of things I'm I am concerned about the amount of money that is going towards the emergency assistance in tranche two, just because we are still seeing a lot of need in with for what we do with um, non-traditional rent and utilities. Um, so I do want to, you know, throw my hat in for that, um, that, you know, it, it, it just seems like a huge swing from 2.5 to 5 when we still are seeing so much need. Um, the other thing I just want to say is that, um, you know, I just want to, you know, reiterate that LHSN is there to help get the word out about meetings or to have sessions where, you know, you need input or um, anything like that. So I just want to make sure that um, you know that we are there to support that and appreciate any input that we can give as a collective group um, to help, you know, focus on our common goal, which is always to help those that are in need in the county. Thanks, Al. Other questions, comments? Are there, it looks like there may be some in the chat. Let's pull the chat up here. There are. Okay. A couple going back to the three buckets. Uh, co-location of services is an emergency endeavor. Is this a realistic focus with the amount of dollars that are being allocated to nonprofits? And then just again, regarding the three buckets, will mental health for tranche two encompass veterans mental health? So these are great questions. The, let me address the second one first. Um, yes, I think we are looking at mental health globally and um, veterans mental health as well as, um, you know, those who have been historically underrepresented, I think definitely would fall in that bucket of disproportionately impacted individuals and populations. So that's something that we can continue to have conversations about. Um, I think, you know, that's that's an area where we want to have some really in-depth um, thinking around what the services are, what they could look like. And the second question related to co-location, I think, is a really good one. And, um, you know, the funding that would be available for co-location is something that we can start the process with. Um, the county it's my understanding, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm looking at, at your icon on the screen, that the county is invested in making sure that the nonprofits have space and can co-locate because there are better outcomes associated with that. Um, so if we're able to provide some federal dollars up front and evaluate how this could look and evaluate how we can coordinate and co-locate in a more meaningful way, that starts the process and the county can then make better decisions related to co-location. So it wouldn't be simply 
you know, moving buildings, but there would be some planning and effort into maybe different types of referral services or an, a, a cloud-based referral, something that that could be an outside-of-the-box, um, you know, co-location type of process. So this is seed money to get something catalyzed um, for a longer-term solution. This wouldn't just be a one and done. Yeah, Megan, I one thing I know, I know we've helped a number of nonprofits locate in county facilities and find space and um, it's physically. So it could be something and I and I I may, you know, the compliance person on here may say, no, that can't be used. But but certainly being able to plan for that and do a planning study around that and analyze the problem and see where there might be an opportunity for economies of scale or where like nonprofits could be located. To me, it'd be a worthful, worth, worthful enterprise because eventually maybe that's something that the board may want to consider funding, you know, out, out of the general fund or in the CIP or just through leases. So, you know, that, I think that's one, that's one avenue. I know Megan also mentioned uh, the avenue of doing it in a virtual environment too, and and through um, uh, basically portals. So I I think that that's probably ideally yes, two and a half million dollars, as we know with with Class A, B, and C office space, and many of you wrestle with that every day. Uh, that'd be pretty tricky to pull off with two and a half million dollars. But I think the seed money to be able to look into that idea uh, and be able to to maybe help that that's something that could be considered. Yeah, and, and we know that many of you are um, working either in co-located spaces or are working with the county to to co-locate and to think about how service delivery is um, different or or um, more coordinated in that way. So we would be reaching out to you as well to understand successes and um, and basically some of the challenges as well. So I think that's a part of it. Um, I did see in the chat, just thoughts about the community needs assessment, who will conduct it, who will make the questions, will there be input solicited about the focus, who will evaluate, will the results be shared? So um, first of all, the county will um, be conducting the needs assessment and um, we will be soliciting input on some of the questions via email as well as the office hours, um, which I think Barb put into the chat. Um, so the the first set of meetings will be soliciting some of that feedback. Uh, we will also be using best practices and survey research and analyzing the data, presenting the results um, back to the community, back to the nonprofits as part of this so that we can have that discussion around you know, what some of the ongoing needs will be. So that's great questions. The next questions are, are all ARPA funds spent required to be transformative? Is rent and utility assistance anti-recovery? And given the hope for value data collection, is duplication a problem? Uh, great question. Um, I would consider rent and utility it looks like it's in quotes, anti-recovery, I would say no, I would consider those emergency needs. And we've heard from um, 
from a number of nonprofits who are collecting rental utility assistance, that it's becoming more and more difficult to evaluate whether this is COVID related um, and, and what that looks like. So I think that's that's a conversation that we need to have is at what point are these no longer COVID related and are ongoing needs as a result of the pandemic? It, is there another way that recovery is possible um, as a result of these? Because utility and rental assistance, while absolutely necessary, are short-term solutions to a longer-term problem that we're going to continue to see. So that's something that we need to, to hear a little bit more about, but we have heard from um, many organizations that it's harder to track um, that it's it's related to COVID now. And so that's something that we have to consider when we're in compliance um, with the federal funds that we're using. It's a great question. Um, for, yes, for duplication, that's something that we, we need to consider across organizations. We're not sure with... Um, with with residents where their services are where they're coming from are they seeking out multiple organizations for the same service are they receiving um, multiple funds for the same issue across organizations so it's really making sure that we have some controls in place and some um, some ways that we can help nonprofits to track some of this and i think that goes back to you know thinking about how we can refer um, and maybe use data in a new and more meaningful way across nonprofits. That's something that we'll be looking at. Uh, let's see, potential timeline for tranche two. That's a really good question. We want to make sure that the initial allocations are completed thoughtfully. Um, and so right now we have delayed the item um, that the board would need to, to approve and we're not quite sure when that's going to come back to the board. Um, we wanna make sure that we have these meaningful conversations and um, ensure that that your feedback is, is collated and curated in a way that helps us make that coherent argument to the board. What we also have are $8 million that are currently unallocated, and we suspect that this will be a longer term um, outreach effort so that it doesn't have to be decided by springtime. But we wanna make sure that we are able to get the funds, especially for the emergency services, into the hands of nonprofits who are working on those emergency services as soon as possible. We know the money's running out, but because it's part of this larger item um, that is you know, encompassing of housing, water, wastewater, we, we we really need to figure out how, what the best optimal feedback is and, and the timeline associated with that. So right now, um, there is no definite timeline. I think, let's see the second, if services can't be co-located, um, but we have multiple services and resources located in one place, does that apply and is it eligible under co-location? It could be, yes. Um, if you have multiple services, let's say employment and mental health care and um, youth services all in one place, um, is there a way to partner with other organizations, for instance, to um, share services or sh share providers, let's say, have an office hour or something? There could be a number of different ways that you would want to look at co-location, but certainly we want to see what's working 
and we want to hear about some of the challenges with co-location and and how it could work better definitely other questions comments concerns i know we're over time so i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules but we will stay on here as long as you have questions Valerie, your hand is up. I just want to make sure we catch you. Oh, sorry, I forgot to put my hand down. But I was typing, I was I was just typing a question about, I know that um, Megan, we talked about Unitas a little bit when we met and that, mm -hmm. you know, that um, it is, a, you know, a centralized system to refer people across nonprofits and it would house that data that, you know, knowing that population that you're talking about um where does that kind of fall in the funding program for that and like is that something the county would take a lead on and i mean there's a lot of questions to be answered you know especially mm -hmm. for clients that um you know don't want to be in a system like that or or organizations that can't share that information yeah and um so that's a great question val thank you for that that is something that we could look into as a result of the co-location bucket, right? Um, you know, there is physical co-location, but there are also referral services and follow-up that um, as nonprofit partners, you do all the time where value may be looking at utility assistance for one family, but then they also need food or clothing assistance. So you might reach out to Jennifer. Um, they might need mental health services. So you might reach out to Kim. And that's where your responsibility stops is the outreach. You're you're giving the name to an individual who is then responsible for reaching out on their own to another organization. And, um, you know, often that's where we see people fall off. Is there a way that then the follow up could be picked up by another organization that would still be a streamlined referral process? Um, there are a number of ways to work out HIPAA and FERPA. Um, questions and compliance related to that, but certainly it would be, um, you know, a, a way to co-locate or refer in a more streamlined way that could involve multiple organizations. Thank you. Megan, mm -hmm. there's another question in the chat. Um, mm -hmm. 2.5 million ARPA distribution to nonprofits seems low in comparison to other Virginia counties distribution considerations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. And I think at this at this stage in the game, um, we have provided as much data as we can to those who are making decisions um, about ARPA funding. And so what we need to continue to do is identify in what ways there are additional needs um, when we're thinking about the eight million dollar allocation um, that is right now um, un, unallocated. And, you know, there are other ways, I think, um, especially for the nonprofits seeming low, it's because they have large projects. Um, in other counties that they are often providing. So it is a living wage for um, an entire population or, um, you know, a standard of living increase that maybe a handful of organizations are doing. So these are large transformative projects that are not necessarily only focused on emergency. And that's why you see such large ticket items. Um, coming out of other localities. And if we see and can 
put together that coherent argument and help to bring in additional grant dollars from federal sources, from state sources, you know, I think we really have a chance to do something transformative. You guys do wonderful work. So it's a matter of how can we maximize on this um, and, and start to put together this coherent, collaborative, cooperative process that can then gain momentum, thus presenting more opportunity for funding. It's a great question. Um, Carol, you had your hand up. Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Carol Smith with Crossroads Jobs, and I just was, um, so we received CDBG funding, and, and it's, you know, it it's great, and 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 also I want to thank, thank you for this meeting. Um, will the data collection and the reporting needed to satisfy the feds, I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, this is going to be more complicated, um, would it, will it be made clear in the in the application process, because I know for a small nonprofit, we have a we use Salesforce. It's an incredible database. We collect a ton of data, but it's always good to know what we need to collect, you know, before we write the application. So um, because there have been a few cases where um, we they needed additional data that we weren't really aware of and had to kind of go back manually and and then provide the data. So um, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Carol. That's a great question. Um, we can certainly provide what would be required in reporting. Um, we did that last year for Tranche One. Um, we can we can provide you with exactly the reporting template that we have, and essentially it's 100% documentation, um, backup documentation. So we need payroll um, and percentage of time um, used if it's an FTE or personnel related all invoices that would be attached to um, this project. So it is it is arduous, um, but we can provide you with the the specific details and templates. We can send it out um, to the whole group. And uh, I'll jump in there real quick just to add a little bit of what Treasury likes to see too when it comes to programs and projects that um, have specific goals and outcomes, uh, depending on the uh, category, uh, there is other specific information. If you have a program that's for job training, they want to know the number of people, um, the types of training programs, things like that. So um, it's mostly capturing how many uh, residents and individuals or households are part of a particular program and then whether, you know, what your goals and your outcomes would be um, based on those numbers, if you are to serve a certain number of people or they would gain a certain percentage of training, uh, that, that sort of thing. So as far as numbers and data, it really does depend on the category that you're in, but it's mostly just a good count of people in the program. And Jennifer, you had your hand up and then I don't know if you still had a question. I don't know, you might be tired of listening to my mouth. I know. Not I can at see all. Sometimes. Never. <laughs> um, so as I'm listening to this, and, and again, you know, I appreciate um, this, and, and Christine, welcome to the county and to this team, too. Um, I guess my question, John, I don't know if you're still here. I don't see your face, but Teams is hard. You guys picked a hard, uh, hard, yeah. hard mechanism here. And John um, is here. With this, this is... Uh, 
do you feel like your team, and I use the word team of Megan, Barb, Christine, John, um, is, is this now from a nonprofit uh, communication standpoint, who we should be communicating with? Um, you know, like for a while it was, we talked to Shalom. Um, and then I know Shalom got assigned some other responsibilities. And then I know, you know, Monica is the ACA that's in charge of the human services standpoint. But could you just talk a little bit about sort of um, where we should go, where, and sort of how you all see yourselves? I know this isn't necessarily ARPA related, but it kind of is. How you all um, see yourselves internally as um, as a decision making body or communication body or you know, we're talking a little bit about, um, about uh, oh gosh, what is that called that Valerie just asked you about, the Unite Us. Well, that's obviously a discussion that is, from a funding standpoint, related to finance, but would be a much larger conversation that we've already had through HSSP two years ago, that everything kind of got halted, but each of those department heads should also be, you know, a part of that. And so I just sort of wondered if you all have had discussions about the communications part of, you know, LHSN, where to go, who to talk to. This may be a bigger question than needs to be asked right here, but. No, I, I appreciate the question. And uh, I think it's a, a very solid question. We've had a lot of conversations about that recently, especially as I've moved into this new role. You know, one thing to keep in mind is, is DFB is, um, we really are the, the grants project portal for the county because we have to deal with compliance. We also kind of serve as the concierge for everybody to get directed or or connected to what grant opportunities are out there. You know, working with Gwen Kennedy and our federal lobbyists, we have a federal grants lobbyist. So, you know, we're kind of the, the portal for that, but we also include the human services agencies in terms of reviewing you know, those needs and making sure that they comport with what the mission is for those agencies and the county, because they are with their advisory bodies and, um, you know, all, all those advisory bodies that they, that some of which have, you know, degrees of authority, they have to make sure that, that the nonprofit, the nonprofits and the nonprofit needs kind of fit, fit together in a complementary way. So, that the human services agencies will always have input into the process. But what we're trying to do is make sure that we that we get the communication out about what these funding streams are, what they're not, what the eligibility is. Also be able to tap in and, and hear from you, the stakeholders and the community of what's important to them. And then make sure that that we run those through the human services agencies. So I think definitely on ARPA and other grants, you should be talking to us. And it's our job and our role to make sure that we inform the ACA spells and, and also the county administrator and and the board, frankly, about what those needs are and and the agencies that that many of you are familiar with that you work with day to day because you're you're serving their clients too. So I don't know if that directly answers your question, but I, I see us with a more pronounced role. I think, you know, Megan has created a, a really good team and which is wonderful 
I mean, we didn't have those resources in the past, and I think we're starting to build up more of a practice on that. And I think it's something that we want to get better at, you know, and I think ideally um, we always wish we had more time to be able to kind of meet these deadlines. And I realize things probably seem very truncated to all of you, you know, and communication, uh, I think, was well-meaning, but ideally, you know, we would love to be able to spend a lot more time to be able to talk and dialogue with you. So we're going to start to make that effort with these two listening sessions. Um, You know, we've heard a lot from everybody today in terms of what their questions are, and I think uh, I really appreciate that. I appreciated everything that everybody emailed me on because some of it went broader, much of it went broader than just ARPA. And it tells me that, you know, as as a budget staff or as a finance and grant staff, if there's a way we need to kind of make sure that we provide that feedback up to the human services agencies and to the human services ACA and the county administrator and the board, that we try to do that, you know. Uh, we don't want things to be, there's nothing wor- worse than all the red tape that you have to go through when you're really just trying to serve that client who comes in and whose family comes in, who who really is in a time of need. We get it. But we also just want to make sure that we're successful and that we're successful in the future, that we have a good track record, that we have a good track record that our nonprofits really are following what they have to follow. And I know there's a I know there's a happy medium there, and we're going to try to make sure we hit that happy medium when it comes to that. So um, I hope hopefully that answered your question a little bit. Um, I, I see us with a definitely a more pronounced role than maybe we've had in the past. Thank you. Other questions, concerns. Comments? Okay, so um, just a quick next steps. Um, So this session, as I mentioned, is being recorded. We will um, transfer this into an MP4, I believe, and we will send it out to all participants. We also, um, you know, are taking notes on the questions and um, comments. All of that will be included in the transcript for this meeting. We will follow up with an email um, with the reporting template for those of you who um, had some questions on what the reporting requirements are. We will follow up with that as well as the PowerPoint. And if there are any other questions, concerns, we also have another meeting set up for uh, February 23rd at Barb, correct me, I'm looking at you, 11 (laughs) o'clock on Wednesday of next week. And then we also have several listening sessions, which Barb put in the chat, Um, March 9th, March 24th, April 4th, April 21st, and May 4th. So please, we will um, be sending those out during the the press release time for next week's meeting. And we look forward to hearing from you. And and we do um, appreciate your feedback and really um, are are very lucky and privileged to be um, welcomed by this group and continue to have partnership with with such a great group of nonprofits. So thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, thank you. Thank you, everybody.